The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. This morning, our sermon is based on our lesson from Exodus chapter 19. And as we come to the mountain of God, and come to his presence that is revealed at Sinai, I want to ask you to please stand. And we hear the voice of God on the mountain to Moses. On the first day of the month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they went out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We have to take in the, the full gravity of this moment. I want you to feel the pull of God as you arrive in His presence. You know, I, I, I hate being a grammar geek, but I have to be a grammar geek here this morning because I want you to notice the smallest little detail. If you read the Bible sensitively, and you read the Bible slowly, you'll notice the littlest thing here, that there's a, conjugate, a, a, a conjugation, a, a connection missing. There's no and as we begin. In fact, as you come to Exodus chapter 19, it's as if we are beginning something anew. Because for the first time in the entire book of Exodus, the chapter begins with no grammatical connection to the last. And it's almost as if Moses grammatically is dredging 
a giant Grand Canyon of sorts that you cannot cross back over again. I want you to feel that, that gravity of the moment and notice that something new is about to begin. But it's not just grammatically where we notice the gravitational pull of the moment. It's also the fact that the sensitive reader will notice that all of the loose ends that we had at the beginning of Exodus are now suddenly tied up in a nice, beautiful little bow. You see, at the beginning of Exodus, God gave the people a bare promise. He said in Exodus chapter 6, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. But now, here in Exodus chapter 19, everything is in the past tense. And the Lord says, this is what you got to say to the people. You yourselves have seen what I did. We started this journey in Exodus with the God of the bush. And he said in Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to give you a simple sign. He said, And this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And now here they are. (laughs) Right? They're, They're pulling in with their campers and everything else, and they are there. They are at the mountain. You see, all of the narrative loose ends have suddenly been tied up in a little bow Promises have been kept. Signs have been seen. And now something new is about to begin. And the Lord wants to make sure that Moses and the Israelites don't simply pass the moment by. In fact, he says to Moses, he says, Moses, come up to me on the mountain. And then he plants into Moses' heart, really what is very poetic. It's almost a song. And he says, you have to tell the Israelites this. And he says this to them. As they look at the Grand Canyon that's been now cut behind them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. You have to feel the gravity of the moment. You have to let your heart almost begin to sing and say, God, you have brought us to this place, to this time, you've brought us to yourself. And you did it in pure grace. Sola gratia, right? It was all you. You carried us on eagles' wings. And the Lord gives to them a picture of this. He says, he Terry's about creation, and I've actually never seen it. I, I looked as hard as I could, but I've never actually seen a bird push its young out of the nest and swoop down underneath and carry them on eagle's wings. Never seen it. 
But there was a young woman in California who wrote about such a thing. It was a spectacular thing to see. She wrote this. Last summer, while my father and I were extracting honey at the apiary, about a mile southeast of teacher school, Ojai, California. It was about 10 o'clock. The mother started from the nest and the crags and roughly handling the young one, she allowed him to drop. Wings spread. My father and I watched this spellbound for over an hour. See, the Lord is a rare bird who, by sheer grace, swoops under his people and carries them as if on eagles' wings. I tell you this because we dare not. Let this moment pass us by. We have to stand here at the mountain with the people of God. When Jesus was born, the Spirit had told a man named Simeon, you will not die until you have seen with your own eyes God's salvation. And not too long after Jesus was born, his parents brought him into the temple and Simeon was told by the Spirit to go to the temple and these were the words that he said, My eyes have seen your salvation. The angels sang and said, This will be a sign to you. You will see a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Do you see what I'm saying? Promises have been kept. Signs have been seen. And we too, by the sheer grace of God, have been carried on eagles' wings to worship at this place and at this mountain because God is that good. And maybe there was a time when he said, God, I'm falling And it seemed like you would fall down and go splat, but he swooped underneath you with his wings and you fell on a bed as if it was made of feathers. God, thank you. I thought I was falling, but you were teaching me to fly. We dare not let this moment pass us by. In some ways, we could say this, that this would have been the perfect ending for the book of Exodus. We kind of talked about that already, how all of the loose ends were, were wrapped up perfectly in this bow. Israel had been saved. Moses had seen the sign. And the very purpose for which God had delivered Israel from Egypt had been fulfilled. They were now able to worship in spirit and in truth at the mountain, but God's not done. In really kind of a shocking twist, we find out that God the Lord was not in it just to save Israel. In fact, what he says next in our lesson is he makes an audacious claim. He says, 
all the earth is mine. And the Lord, therefore, is telling us he had it in his heart not to just save the oppressed. Not to just save the slave. But he actually wanted to save Egypt. And he wanted to save all of the surrounding nations. You see, this is a shocking twist that Exodus does not end here. Exodus really is only beginning. The Lord says this to Israel. He says, You are for me a kingdom of priests. I was laughing with Amanda earlier this week. There's a cartoon that I used to watch when I was a little kid. And it was called Pinky and the Brain. Have you seen this before? And each of the, each of the episodes kind of starts in the same way. Where Pinky, this silly mouse, says to Brain, What are we going to do tonight? And do you, know the, do you remember the answer? We are going to conquer the world tonight. What we do every night. See, Brain's ambitions to conquer the world are just like the Lord's in a sense. He wants to save not just Egypt, but not just Jewish people who used to be slaves a brand new identity. He says, you are a kingdom of priests. And I want to think about that for a while with you this morning, what this all means. It, it certainly means that these people had entered into a brand new relationship with God. That now these people who had been redeemed could now praise and serve and worship and pray at the mountain. But the Lord wanted them to know it wasn't just about them. You see, you cannot be a priest unless you serve somebody else. You know this about the Old Testament, that, that a priest's job was not only to pray and praise and offer sacrifices, but we know that one of Aaron's jobs was to raise his hand and put a blessing on the surrounding people. This is what we're saying. Israel was to be a priesthood, and the world was their parish. We understand this as New Testament Christians as well. That what Peter says is true of us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this is what he's saying. For all of you who have crossed the Grand Canyon from Exodus chapter 18 to Exodus chapter 19, for all of you who have been carried on eagles' wings, for all of you who have been redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus, for all of you who understand sola gratia, you have now become and been given a brand new identity. You are a holy priesthood. This means, certainly, 
We understand this. We call it the priesthood of all the priesthood of all believers that we can pray and praise and call pastors and baptize and, and offer to each other a holy supper. This is a holy priesthood that we're all a part of. But it doesn't just mean that. It means that you have also entered into a special relationship with the world. It means that you are called to love the world, to redeem the world, to sprinkle the world with blood, to pray for the world, to evangelize the world, to bless the world. You get that? A pastor friend of mine who's much bolder than I in social media actually said this. He wrote this on his Facebook page. He said, if the people of God spend as much time sharing Jesus with others as they do on sharing politics, so many more people would know that Jesus loves them too. Remember who you are, dear brothers and sisters. You are salt and light. I want to remind you who you are this morning. You are a holy priesthood. Which means that you are not here to get somebody's vote, not principally, although you can do that too. You are not here to make sure that everybody knows how sinful they are. To point out how wrong they are about their opinions. You are here principally. Your first identity is to be a holy priesthood. So, think about it this way. That you, dear church, are a priesthood and the world is your parish. I was thinking about this with Vicar here today, or earlier this week, and, and we thought this about it. That pastors, we know this, right? Are, are not allowed to berate their members. We shouldn't do that, should we? That we would want to treat them with kindness and respect and always show to them Jesus Christ. That from your pastor. Then shouldn't the world expect that of you? You are a holy priesthood. A holy nation a people belonging to God who have been called out of darkness to proclaim His marvelous light. I don't want you to let this moment pass you by. I want you to feel the gravity of the moment to come to that mountain to understand that we have been carried here to this place and to hear God call you what you really are. You are a priesthood, and the world is your parish. Amen. <laughs>